Welcome back to the Football Funders podcast, brought to you in association via the lovely people at the Proper Blokes Club, walking and talking, breaking the stigma surrounding men's mental health. And let us talk mental health, the football team raising money for mental health charity Mind. You can find them on Twitter at letustalk underscore MH, and you can find the Proper Blokes Club on Twitter at Blokes Club or www.thepropablokesclub.co.uk. Wasn't meant to be a solo show today, but England are through. Wales are out of the World Cup. We're going to talk Ronaldo leaving, Manchester United being put up for sale, and QPR losing their manager very quickly after uh, he rejected the Wolves job. So we're going to talk about all those things. But we're going to start off with the World Cup, and England have qualified. England have topped their group. Only two groups have been finalised at the moment. The Netherlands topping Group A with Senegal, which I believe are England's next opponents. Apologies that we haven't been on. We were going to do an earlier show, but then we decided because the games were coming so thick and fast for England that we'd wait until we knew what England's outcome would be. So anyway, yeah, Group A, Netherlands have qualified ahead of Senegal. England have qualified ahead of the USA. Overall, it's been a comfortable qualification round for England, I think. The USA result, I think you've seen the reaction for everybody that it wasn't a very good performance. I'm not a fan of Gareth Southgate, as I've said before on this podcast, but you've got to give him credit where credit's due. He started off very well with a 6-2 win against Iran, which is the result we should have got. It's Iran. People have seen a lot in the media of former pros talking about how good Qatar and Iran would be and how well they did in Gold Cups and various other tournaments, only to find that yeah, Iran got one win and Qatar didn't. Qatar, I believe, are the worst performing hosts in World Cup history. And how can you expect any less? They're a young nation quickly building at a pace and they're only at this World Cup because they were hosting it. Let's be honest. So England 6-2 against Iran, very comfortable. The USA match, a completely different scenario. USA are a much better side than Iran and Wales. We'll get to the Wales game in a minute. And they are much more energetic, much more organised, highly pressed. They lack the quality in the final third, but they still found enough to get through in Group B, second in Group B. I think, I don't know who they play, actually. I think it might be the Netherlands. I'm not sure. But it wasn't a fantastic performance. I think against the USA, we just moved the ball far too slowly. And the USA was so energetic and so quick to close us down that if you move the ball slowly, then you aren't going to have any room to move the ball anywhere from a progressive side of things, you're just going to end up going sidewards and backwards, trying to spread it out and make some more space again. But then we rounded off against Wales and what looked like it was going to be another performance similar to the USA. But I've got to give credit again to Gareth Southgate because a lot of his critics, and including me, have said he doesn't make enough changes. He sticks with the same formation, same players. I'll give him credit against Wales. He brought in different players. We saw Phil Foden, Start. We saw Marcus Rashford start. Jordan Henderson came in and solidified the midfield. They went to a 4-3-3 instead of a, a sort of more fluid 4-3-3 slash 4-2-3-1 three, three, 
that we've been playing so far. I'm delighted to say that we haven't gone to five at the back. My only concern is that now we're into the knockout stages, we may revert to type and go back to five at the back. I really don't want to see that. But in the second half, Gareth Southgate surprised me again by making some tactical switches, predominantly just switching Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden on either sides of the pitch because Rashford started off on the left and Foden started off on the right. So they switched them around and both players became more offensively effective, particularly Foden, who didn't seem to do too much in the first half. That's not necessarily his fault. He can only do what he can do when he's got a ball at his feet. Rashford, however, has been a revelation for both Manchester United and England. And you've got to give him credit for pulling his game back. I've criticised him on this podcast recently in the last year or so. Um, I even accused him of donating his talent at the local food bank. You can go back and listen to that pod again. You can always download us anywhere now. We're pretty much absolutely everywhere. And our old audio episodes are on YouTube. So you can listen to them on YouTube or you can download them on Stitcher, where are we? Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, iTunes, everywhere. But yeah, I accused him of donating his talent to a food bank. I think he's managed to get it back. I think a lot of credit has got to go to Eric Ten Hag for the rejuvenation of Marcus Rashford. I think he's brought in a discipline to the whole of Manchester United in terms of mentality in terms of the way you conduct yourself just as a Man United player. It kind of reminds me a bit of the level of discipline that Alex Ferguson instilled at Manchester United. Obviously, they're not going to be, I'm not comparing them, Ten Hag and Ferguson, but I just see similarities between them. I'm not saying that they're going to go on and have exactly the same careers. That's obviously not going to be the case. But Marcus Rashford is back on form and scored two goals against Wales in the second half. I can't remember who scored the, the the other one now. I think it was Phil Foden, actually, wasn't it? If I remember rightly, someone can comment in the comments below. We, we are going to be looking to do live streams. Just uh, with Christmas coming up at the moment, it's not the right time to upgrade our software and hardware, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, I've just had my birthday. So, you know, money's a bit thin at the moment, especially with everything else that's going on here in the UK. But overall, scored nine in three games. You can't argue with that. It's an average of three goals a game, only conceded two. It's not bad. Players are looking in form. Harry Kane, I think a few people are a bit worried that he's not scored as many as people might have thought. But he's scored. Did he score in the first? I think he scored in the 6-2 win. And he's created a couple of goals as well. So I'm not overly worried. And he was able to come off at half time against Wales. And the team still went on to perform really well. So delighted to see them. And it's going to be interesting to see England play Senegal because it's going to be completely different to what we've played already. Senegal, a very powerful athletic team. But what people don't seem to give them enough credit for is technically they're quite gifted. And I think it's going to be an interesting clash of styles because they are quite raw, powerful. They run hard. You know, they chase, they close down. They're very quick on a counter-attack. And Gareth Southgate's gone for this very patient approach where we keep the ball and we pass it around until we find the right opening. So I'll give credit to all the lads in the England setup 
for those that have been there in and out of the side, those who haven't performed. But above all, I've got to give credit to Gareth Southgate for being prepared this time to make substitutions, to make changes into the starting lineup. You know, I'm still a little bit critical of taking the likes of Phillips, who'd only had 54 minutes. Madison, who's not played at all recently and still hasn't played at the World Cup yet. I'm starting to wonder if he's going to play at all because my understanding is he's not even trained since he's been out there. So I understand the clamour for him to have gone in the squad because he was in such good form. But if he's not fit, he's not fit. So really pleased. Got to talk about Wales. Wales have been thoroughly disappointing to me. And I think to a lot of people, including the Welsh people, because I think they've got a squad of players that are a lot better than they showed themselves to be. I think Robert Page, the manager, got the tactics completely wrong. He went overly cautious, five at the back. He was playing uh, uh, Kent in midfield. I think it's, it is Kent, isn't it? Ryan Kent. I'm probably going to, I keep getting him confused with, with the lad in Rangers. Oh, is it? I'm getting it wrong, aren't I? Is it Wilson or is it Kent? I think it's Wilson, right? Um, I'm going to say it's Wilson. And he's a wide player, but they were playing him in central midfield for the first two games. They were sort of doing a 5 3 2 kind of formation it didn't really work there Gareth Bale up front alongside somebody else who wasn't a striker for the first one and then they brought in Kiefer Moore for another one which gave him a little bit of presence up top I wouldn't be starting Gareth Bale as a striker I wouldn't be starting him as a winger like they did against England either I don't think he's got the pace or his body will keep up with with doing a job on the wing I think Rob Page's biggest mistake was actually relying on the older generation rather than putting the youngsters in very quickly after it became apparent in that first game that it just wasn't working. Aaron Ramsey has been injured on and off for so many years at Juve and they've never really fancied him at Juve. Gareth Bow, everybody knows about his injuries. So I understand that they've got level, high levels of quality, but I don't think you can rely on them the way that Wales have relied on them previously. And now... They're out of the World Cup. Gareth Bale's 33. I think Ramsey's 31, maybe. I think maybe we see them play a less prominent role. For me personally, I think I would have gone 4-2-3-1. I think you've got good talent in Roberts, Neko Williams, Chris Meppham. I know Joe Allen wasn't available, but I would have put Dylan, Dylan Levitt excuse me, in there with uh, Ampadu in central midfield. And I would have put Gareth Bale behind Kiefer Moore. And then I would have had Brendan Johnson and either Dan James or I'm going to say Harry Wilson, because I always get them wrong. And I apologize if I get them wrong. I would have used three of those on the options of out wide and Kiefer Moore up front. Don't think it's any coincidence that Fulham are doing so well when they've got wingers like Dan James and I'm going to get wrong again. I'm going to say Harry Wilson supplying Mitrovic and we all know how good Mitrovic has been so very very disappointed in Wales I was expecting them to be far more of a challenge 
but England showed in that second half that as soon as you go at them and maybe don't give them so much respect as we did in the first half, then maybe they're not as good as everybody thought they were going to be, including Wales themselves, sadly. I was really hoping that both England and Wales would get out of the group stage, but uh, it just didn't happen for Wales, which is a real shame. But delighted to see England have gone through. I'm hoping that we can go further. I predicted that we wouldn't even get out of the group phase because of our, you know, what is it, is it Nations League results where we got relegated and it was everything was just really, really awful. So I'm delighted that we've gone through. I've been pleasantly surprised. The result against the USA was a little bit of a worry, but as I said, you've got to give credit to Gareth Southgate for making changes. And just quickly going back to Rashford, one of the other points I want to make, because I did credit Eric Ten Hag, is I think also credit should go to Benny McCarthy, the former Porto striker. I think he also played over here for like Blackburn and I think maybe a couple of other clubs. But I think a lot of credit should go to him because he was appointed by Ten Hag to come in and coach the strikers. And I've noticed that since he's come in, Rashford's finishing has been a lot more composed and a lot more decisive. And I think we've all known that he can score goals and he can finish. But I've just noticed a certain composure and calmness to him since McCarthy's come in. So we can we can we can be grateful to Benny McCarthy as well. Cause I remember him being a goal scorer for Porto, but I don't think he did that well in the Premier League. So switching tact very, very quickly. Just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, our associates, whatever we want to call them, which are let us talk mental health. You can find them at let us talk underscore MH on Twitter. As you can see, Dan's the assistant manager raising money for mental health charity mind. And yeah, they're playing in the local area. So in local area, I mean, Southeast London, which is where I am. So go on to Twitter, give them a follow. And if you're in the Southeast London area and uh, go and support them, they do have their own merch and, and everything and the money, the proceeds all go to mental health charity mine. So definitely worth supporting. Get down to one of their matches if you can. And the Proper Blokes Club. You can follow them at Blokes Club on Twitter or www.theproperblokesclub.co.uk. Walking and talking, breaking the stigma surrounding men's mental health one walk at a time. Uh, I know the guy who started all this off, Scott. He's a lovely fella. I go and do walks with them occasionally when I feel the need to to walk and talk. Sometimes you don't even talk about your feelings. Sometimes you just like need a break and you don't want to think about your feelings for a change. So it's nice to go out, have a walk with the lads, have a laugh, maybe console somebody else if they're having a hard time and, you know, just genuinely be there for somebody else and stop yourself worrying about your own situation for five minutes. You know what they say, sometimes a change is as good as a rest. So go over to them and see if they're in your local area. They do various walks around London. And if not, get in touch with them and find out if they would be able to help you set up one in your area or in your country if you're living abroad. Right, moving back on to football. Obviously, there's been humongous news as a Manchester United fan. 
over the last week or so with the announcement. Obviously, we saw the interview with Ronaldo and I don't know what our listeners thought about it. Feel free to drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments and you can message us on Twitter at, I think it's Fball Funders or just type in Football Funders in the search bar, you'll find us. Do give us a a subscribe on YouTube and a follow on Twitter. And you can leave your comments on there. You can message us on Twitter or you can message. I think you can email us at footballthunderspod at Gmail. I have to check about that. I'll I'll put it in the description for this video. I think it should also be in our overall description on YouTube. But moving back on to, obviously this has happened long in advance, but... I haven't had the chance to talk about it. So we're going to talk about Manchester United sacking Cristiano Ronaldo. We're going to start off very quickly with uh, the club statement. Obviously, as everybody was aware, the the interview with Piers Morgan, where he slated everybody from the club to the youth players, the the chef for cooking out-of-date meals and out-of-date training around, etc., etc., Cristiano Ronaldo has left Manchester. I'm paraphrasing here. I know what you're reading is slightly different. This was the club statement on Tuesday, the 22nd of November. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, is to leave or has left now Manchester United by mutual agreement with immediate effect. The club thanks him for his immense contribution across two spells at Old Trafford, scoring 145 goals in 346 appearances and wishes him and his family well for the future. I noticed that little message there about his family. Uh, everyone at Manchester United remains focused on continuing the team's progress under Eric Ten Hag and working together to deliver success on the pitch. Cristiano Ronaldo himself has said in a statement, following conversations with Manchester United, we have mutually agreed to end our contract early. I love Manchester United and I love the fans. That will never, ever change. However, it feels like the right time for me to seek a new challenge. I wish the team every success for the remainder of the season and for the future. I find it quite bizarre, his statement, because this seems to me like this was the prepared statement he had ready at the start of the season when he was looking for a move, the move that didn't materialise. So he's gone from Manchester United's outdated, the kids don't listen, the, the facilities aren't good enough, the chef's cooking really bad food, even though he's got a personal chef, um, to I love Man United and I love the fans. This is a guy, I mean... You've, if you've what if you haven't go back and watch my previous one on the initial clips of the full interview. I didn't do a full one on it because it was just a load of nonsense with a bunch of complaining put in. But this is a guy. It was reminded to me when I was talking to other Man United fans on Twitter. But this is a guy who, in two thousand and eight, when he wanted to move to Real Madrid, claimed he was being treated as a slave because he wasn't allowed to move because he was still under contract. And Manchester United didn't want to sell. He ended up staying for another year and then moving on anyway during his time at Alex Ferguson. So this isn't just uh, this time around. It's not just like an individual outburst against a player who's genuinely struggling to deal with what's going on. He's done this before. He's got form. If he, if he wants to leave, he will do or say. He has no remorse. I honestly don't believe he loves Manchester United. I don't believe he, I I think he cares about the fans. I don't think he cares about Man United fans. I think he just cares about his fans. Piers Morgan, since his interview, has been going on about how he's got almost half a billion followers on Instagram or whatever, like it actually matters. I'm sorry, it it doesn't. Um, 
the amount of followers you've got on Instagram is not going to make one ounce of difference to when it comes to being a football player and playing football. Clubs aren't going to sign you because you've got half a million foot followers on Instagram. They're going to sign you because you can play football. If you bring revenue in, that's an added bonus, which is the whole reason why Ronaldo was signed in the first place, was to fill a short-term gap up front and make a lot of money off of merchandise. So I just find his statement a little bit weird. Um, it's a completely different tone to what he was saying like a couple of days before he was sacked. And people seem to be cons- confused about how or why he's gone in terms of like money. Uh, everybody initially thought that he was getting a payoff, which he didn't get. And then there was the announcement that he was to receive a nominal payoff, uh, which again, didn't get. And all reporting has seemed to lead that to the conclusion that he actually hasn't received a penny. The conclusion seems very much to be that Manchester United said, right, you are in breach of your contract. We can either do this nicely and just announce a, a mutual termination of your contract and you can go for absolutely nothing and go do what you want because we don't want you at the club. And that appears to have been the case because I think Ronaldo could have argued, well, you've got to pay me my money under the terms of my contract. You've got to pay up, up what's left. So... I'm glad that he hasn't got any money out of Manchester United. Uh, I think he was overpaid when we signed him. He was not worth the half a million pounds a week that is alleged that he was be being paid. I say alleged, it's common knowledge, but you never know unless someone's contract is printed out. You, you can never tell. So, good riddance. I don't like his attitude. Again, I go back to 2008 when he claimed he was a slave. Now he's claiming that he's being uh, discriminated against. He's making accusations against board members about not believing that his child was sick and that he was having issues, even though he was given time off and he was paid for his time off and he came back when he wanted to come back. I'm, I'm honestly just glad he's gone. And a lot of speculation today, I've seen it all over Twitter, um, some of the journalists on Twitter are claiming that he's close to signing a deal in Saudi Arabia for about two hundred million pounds until twenty twenty five. I think it is nothing signed or sealed yet. But I think if he takes that deal, I think it just proves what everybody was saying was that his legs have gone and he's not capable of doing. It at Premier League level, and I think he's now realised that. I, it's just a shame. I think he could have come to this without the, the need to do the interview and, and without insulting people and, and disrespecting people and claiming that he was disrespected. I don't think there was any need for it. I, my personal feeling about the whole situation was, is I think Eric Ten Hag came in and Cristiano Ronaldo said, I want to leave. And Eric Ten Hag said, that's fine. I'm not planning to use you anyway. I understand you want to leave. So find yourself a move and uh, we won't stand in your way. And 
then the issues happened with his daughter while he was trying to do that as well. Again, sympathies to him and his family. If his children are unwell and after sadly losing a, a child, that's that's sad. And he does deserve sympathy for that. But when it comes to his conduct at the club, for me, they're just not linked. It's got, him refusing to come on has got nothing to do with the sad passing or illness of his children. So... I just always thought that he was like, okay, I'll go and I'll get myself a club. I'll find someone who'll want me and then I'll get a big contract elsewhere because I'm Cristiano Ronaldo and I'll leave and everything will be fine. And then nobody wanted him because they didn't thought he was overpaid and he's aged. He's like 37 going on 38. His performances at the World Cup, I don't know if anybody's been watching it. I know I have, but his performances have not been great. He dived for one goal which was a penalty and he's claimed another goal which turns out to be Bruno Fernandez is according to FIFA so the way he celebrated was a joke he was like yeah yeah yeah, I've scored I've scored I've scored and it, he didn't even touch it according to FIFA he did not touch the ball some people are posting like jokes on Twitter some people are posting photos of where he's like his hair strand don't ask me I've only got tiny ones touch the ball so it's Ronaldo's goal is really getting quite desperate the um the Ronaldo fanboys are getting really sad and now it looks like he's off to Saudi Arabia where they won't see him so I don't think he's particularly set the World Cup alight but I'm think going back to what I was saying because I've got gone a bit on a tangent there but I think once he didn't get his move at Manchester United I think he walked back in once his child was well and I think he appreciated that he wasn't going to get straight in because he'd completely missed preseason. But I think he thought, well, I'm Ronaldo. I can just come back to Man United and just fit in. And I think Ten Hag was like, no, I told you I'm not going to use you. So you are going to have to sit on the bench. And if I play you, I play you. And if I don't play you, I don't play you. And I think that's where his version of disrespect from Eric Ten Hag has come from. I'm sorry, I genuinely don't see anyone at Manchester United having an issue with him missing preseason because his child is ill. Sorry, I'm just not buying that. I think that's up there with the slave comment for me. People, feel free to disagree with me in the comments on YouTube. And again, you can follow us and message us on Twitter and and all that. But I'm glad he's gone. Uh, I think it's a real shame. I think he could have just turned around and said, look, I'm not playing here. If you release me, terminate from my contract, I won't take a payout. I'll just leave. And he didn't need to do the Piers Morgan interview. I think he wanted out and the Piers Morgan interview and making certain allegations was his way out. So, bon voyage, Ronaldo. Enjoy Saudi Arabia or wherever wherever you end up. I genuinely couldn't give a monkey's where you go because for me, you've never been a Manchester United great anyway. Your legacy for me personally was made at Real Madrid and not at Manchester United I know you want a balloon Dior on here and a European Cup that's true and a bunch of other stuff under Sir Alex Ferguson but for me he became the football icon at Real Madrid scoring that ridiculous amount of goals in a substandard league I'm sorry nobody's going to tell me otherwise that the defending in the Liga is amazing so au revoir Ronaldo thank you and goodbye and switching on to the other huge news that came out very quickly after Ronaldo left, and that is that Manchester United are up for sale. 
This is the statement from Manchester United. Manchester United PLC, NYSE, MANU, whatever that is, one of the most successful and historic sports clubs in the world, announces today that the company's board of directors, the board, is commencing a process to explore strategic alternatives for the club. The process is designed to enhance the club's future growth with the ultimate goal of positioning the club to capitalise on opportunities both on the pitch and commercially. As part of this process, the board will consider all strategic alternatives, including new investment into the club, a sale or other transactions involving the company. This will include an, an assessment of several initiatives to strengthen the club, including stadium and infrastructure redevelopment, and expansion of the club's commercial operations on a global scale, each in the context of enhancing the long-term success of the club's men's, women's and academy teams and bringing benefits to fans and other stakeholders. Executive co-chairman and directors Avram Glazer and Joel Glazer said, the strength of Manchester United rests on the passion and loyalty of our global community of 1.1 billion fans and followers. As we seek to continue building on the club's history of success, the board has authorised a thorough evaluation of strategic alternatives. We will evaluate all options to ensure that we best serve our fans and that Manchester United maximises the significant growth opportunities available to the club and in the future. Throughout this process, we will remain fully focused on serving the best interests of our fans, shareholders, and various stakeholders. The Rain Group, that's key because they were the people who sold Chelsea for about 2.3 billion, is acting as the company's exclusive financial advisor and Latham and Watkins LLP is legal counsel to the company. Rothschild and Co is acting as exclusive financial advisor to the Glazer family shareholders. There can be no assurance that the review being undertaken will result in any transaction involving the company. Manchester United does not intend to make further announcements regarding the review unless and until the board has approved a specific transaction or other course of action requiring a formal announcement. So, to sum it up in not so many long words, the Glazers are selling Manchester United. And so many Manchester United fans are going to be really, really happy about this because they've been campaigning for years. Some people are saying that it's the campaigns. They finally worn them down after 10 years. Wrong. Some are saying Ronaldo's finally spread the light so the whole world can see how the Glazers have treated Manchester United. Wrong. The bottom line is Manchester United are no longer profitable to the Glazers. The Glazers are still taking money out of the club. In the last financial year, they took out £33.6 million. The problem was Manchester United, even with that takeout, lost £115.5 million last year. And the debt has increased. The club is no longer making money. So therefore, the debt is increasing. The Glazers con continue to take a dividend at this point in time. But the less money the club makes, the more debt it runs into, the less the dividend will be. So the Glazers have finally decided, okay, it's time to sell up. We've milked Manchester United dry. That is what the Glazers have done. They've made as much money as they can out of it without having to put a single penny in it because they didn't even buy the club with their own money. They basically got loans against the club and then bought the club with the loans. So I think it's called a leveraged buyout. I think if, if that's the correct term, again, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but they basically, that's how they bought it. So they didn't put a penny into it. 
and they've just been taking money out in dividends. Um, to be fair to them, as I've said on this pod previously, they made Manchester United a lot of money in the process because uh, Ed Woodward was fantastic at doing commercial deals. He wasn't fantastic on the football side of things, but he made Manchester United a lot of money and increased our revenue streams to balance the debt and feed the debt. But the problem is, is Manchester United have lost a lot in commercial revenue because a lot of it, it has clauses in it, even like kit sponsorship deals. It's like if you don't qualify for Europe, for Champions League, you lose like 25 million for the next year or so. You know, that, that that's not the exact figures, but that's how it works. You know, there's, there's clauses in there that say, because you're not you're no longer promoting our brand at the highest level, we're not going to pay you as much as we agreed to. So with Man United being in the Europa League, they lost even more money. And there was obviously some COVID restrictions uh, had some kind of impact for the last financial year because it was like 2021 to 2022, I think, because I did talk to somebody about this. And it, I think it was... April 2021 to June 2022 for the financial year. So there's no money left. They've milked it dry and that's why they're going to sell it. And from a business perspective, you have to say as businessmen, the Glazers are geniuses. They bought a massive worldwide club, put no money into it, took a ton of cash out. If you, if, if you just say that they've been there for what, 17 years? say they take out an average of 33 million pounds a year. So 33 million times by 17, that's maths I can't even do. And my phone is all the way over there on the sofa. I can't go and get it. So even just that 30 million, say 30 million for 10 years, that's like 300 million pounds, right? Am I, am I right? If I've got a calculator on this computer, I need to do the maths. Have I got a calculator? I don't even know. Um, yes. No, that's a calendar. No, can't see a calculator. No. Oh, well, never mind. Somebody do the maths. It just, just on average, 30 million a year uh, over 17 years. It's going to be ridiculous sums of money. And now they've decided to sell up. The market value, they believe, is going to be somewhere between five to potentially eight billion pounds. Obviously, not all of that will go to the Glazers, but they're going to be looking at making walking off with about five billion pounds in their pocket from only Manchester United for 17 years. That's astounding business. From Manchester United's perspective, it's not good. It's not good at all because they've lumbered the club with massive amounts of debt. They've bled it dry. The club is now even in more debt because the money ran out. The Glazers have put the wrong people in charge. So there's been less success than there was. And to be honest, there was never going to be the same level of success that Manchester United enjoyed under Sir Alex Ferguson, under anybody else. Because... There were teams like Chelsea who had all the money under the sun, under Roman Abramovich. Liverpool found a financial model that really worked for them. Man City got invested in and the league just became more competitive. Manchester United were no longer the richest club in England anymore in terms of overall. And they had competition for the top players. They couldn't just go and pick who they wanted to like they had done under Sir Alex Ferguson. So they were never... It's, that kind of success. I know we're seeing something kind of similar at City at the moment where they've won, I think it's four out of the last five champ uh, Premier Leagues. And I think like four out of the five last League Cups. I think there might be an FA Cup in there or two. 
But Man United were never going to have that same level of success again. But the good news is Man United are for sale. And whoever coughs up that much money, like five, six billion pounds, is obviously going to have enough money to clear the debt, to upgrade the stadium because it's been done for a long time. Personally, if it was me, I'd like to keep Old Trafford as much as possible the way it is now. Obviously, it needs renovating. It needs a lot of work. The roofs are leaking. But I would rather see stands torn down one at a time and redeveloped into newer stands with the same appearance than them just levelling Old Trafford and building a brand new stadium where Old Trafford was. I, I don't want that. I, I, some, of these, some of these stadiums, they feel a bit sterile and a bit... I just don't like some of the new stadiums. They seem impersonal and I like to keep the history of Old Trafford. So the good news is we can get new investment coming in across the board. If someone's got that much money, then the debt will go. We'll get an upgraded training ground. Who, By the way, Cristiano Ronaldo has been complaining about the training ground. It's not a bad training ground. It's not in a terrible condition. You know, it's still one of the best training grounds in the Premier League. It might not be up there with what Manchester City are doing at the moment or what Real Madrid have done or what Juventus have done by upgrading year upon year, but it's by no means a bad training facility for a top Premier League side. Let's just be honest about that. Um, so it overall, it's got to be good news. I expect Manchester United to be sold within a year. Obviously, people are comparing it to the Chelsea deal. Chelsea was slightly more rushed because of the political situation surrounding Chelsea at the time. But I would expect Manchester United to be sold. I don't know who to. There's been so many linked already. Like Elon Musk has been mentioned. Apple have been mentioned. Uh, various Saudi families, Qatari families, etc., etc. Uh, American investment firms. There's going to be a lot of interest, but until someone gets preferred bidder status, then there's not going to be too much more said. So to all my fellow Man United fans out there, be patient. It will happen. I, I would expect it to happen within a year. The global reach of Man United, as they said, they've got 1.1 billion fans. It's going to be something that a lot of businesses are going to want. And they're going to want it as fast as possible because the reach... I mean, if, just imagine if Apple did buy Manchester United. The global reach for Apple is already enormous. Add Manchester United to that. Um, it, if Man United were bought out by a company like Apple that was worth that much, there would be no competing. My only hope is that they do stick with Eric Ten Hag, whoever the new owners are, because I, I do genuinely think he's the right man for the job. I think he's... A disciplinarian i think he's a good tactician uh despite ronaldo's grievances against him i haven't heard any other grievances from any other players even the ones that have been injured or ones that are not uh being considered for the first team you know they're not complaining about him so i hope they stick with him personally and moving on to my final point before I do call it a day, um, as I said, unfortunately, this wasn't going to be a solo show. Um, but it's had to be for various reasons. I don't want to go into out of respect 
The final one is going to be lower down the leagues in QPR. Now, if you go back about six weeks ago, QPR manager Michael Beale was linked with Wolves and he turned it down. And he said this. Let me just see if I can find it. I should have it bookmarked. I do have it bookmarked. Where are we? Thank you, Evening Standard, for this. And share the screen. Here we go. Now, this bothers me because he turned down Wolves because he claimed it's all come a bit too soon. Uh, he said, it's all come a bit too soon. It is the aim for me to work in the Premier League like it is for all our players. The idea is to try and get there ourselves as a group. At times, if we're doing well, there will be speculation and temptation. One thing's for sure, Wolves are a fantastic football club, a historic football club. It was a real privilege to be asked to go and speak to them, but I didn't think it was the right moment because I entered into an agreement here and integrity is a real big thing for me and loyalty. You don't give it to receive it back, but if those are your values, then when you are put in a position, you have to be strong by them. I don't feel that we're anywhere near where I want QPR to be. I'm enjoying working with them. We've got a lot to do, but I'm excited by it. There will be bumps in the road, but I've been all in here and I've asked others to be all in. So I can't be the first to run away from a sinking ship or from the ship, he says here. Now, this is really interesting. Just bear that in mind. Because since he gave that statement, I think QPR have lost four out of their last five matches. Fast forward six weeks with Michael Bill. Glasgow Rangers clump, clump, excuse me. Glasgow Rangers come calling. Six weeks later, got to remember, he said it wasn't the right time to move. He wanted to stay at QPR. Loyalty was important. And lo and behold, Michael Bill has returned to Rangers as manager, leaving Queen's Park Rangers after six months. Six months he was there and then said he needed to be loyal. And then six weeks after he said he needed to be loyal, he left. He said, I'm hugely proud. It is a wonderful, wonderful football club. It's an institution. He's been there before. Obviously, he was Stephen Gerrard's assistant manager when they were when he was at Rangers. For everyone that works here, it is a huge privilege. But to be the manager of this football club, that is extremely special. Some wonderful people have sat in this chair prior to me. And I am hugely proud to be the person sat here now. In the time since I left, I've had different experiences in the Premier League and then being a manager in the Championship. I feel more ready, more equipped to do the job, even more so than when I departed a year ago. I'm here to win. That's the most important thing but also to win with style in a way that makes the fans excited. Loyalty doesn't seem to be much for Michael Bill. Uh, You've got to say, they're apparently delighted to have him. QPR director of football, there's Ferdinand. What a player he was, by the way. Naturally, we're hugely disappointed to lose Mike, Mike Mick. Our, ex- our extensive research when we were looking for a new head coach highlighted him as being very much aligned with the direction we are moving in as a football club. The start to the season we have made, coupled with very attractive football being played, gave us cause for optimism as we look to build on the previous three seasons. That optimism remains, but there is no doubt it is a blow to lose Mick, Mike, whoever you want to call him, so soon into his tenure. It seems that loyalty seems to be in short supply in football these days. 
the ideas of one club men and one club women, for that matter of fact, in the, in the women's game. I've noticed a lot of women move a lot of different clubs. It's a shame. It's a genuine shame that people don't even see out more than a year of their contracts in some places now. I think Mr. Beale has been very naive in the things that he said with regards to not going to Wolves because now he looks like a complete mug. Let's be honest. If you're going on about loyalty and then six weeks later you leave, no, 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 no. There's no loyalty there. So it's a bit of a bummer for me personally as a football fan to see that people will just jump ship that quickly. But luckily enough, I'm not a QPR fan and I'm not a Rangers fan. I do love Rangers. We've talked on previous podcasts. Go back and have a listen about foreign teams that we love for re- various reasons. For instance, I, I had a love for Palermo just because of their bright pink kit. I thought it was amazing. But yeah, fan of Rangers, but not as much as I used to be. Um, um, my heart belongs to Manchester United. So luckily enough, it's not a problem for me. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in to this podcast yet again. Hopefully on the next one, I will not be alone. Um, it's much more fun to do these with people. Again, a shout out to the guys at Let Us Talk Mental Health. Uh, the football team raising money for mental health charity mind and if i click this way the proper blokes club walking and talking breaking the stigma surrounding men's mental health Uh, do get out there lads if you're struggling do have a chat do talk go to your doctor if you're not feeling right talk to your loved ones talk to anyone you feel you can trust because it's better to let it out than keep it bottled in and until next time hopefully with more than me take care And enjoy the rest of the World Cup.